This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, and even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week number 668, brought to you by Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code iFanboy at checkout. And iFanboy listeners like you... Yeah. 
Hello, welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week. This is episode 668. I'm Josh Flanagan. This is my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. Hello, Josh. Hello, Connor. You jerk. Wait, was that passive-aggressive? Are you angry at me? <laughs> I'm just going to be full-out aggressive. Uh, fuck passive-aggressive. It's a waste of time. You know what you did. <laughs> uh, we are iFanboy. Every week we read our stack of comics. We glower at one another. We pick our favorite... <laughs> can't do that, actually. We pick yeah. our favorite book, and we call that the pick of the week. We talk about that book, other books from the week, the patron pick, and maybe... Maybe if we have time, we'll read some listener mail. It's a promise I can't make you. That's all there is to it. I would if I could, but I can't. Mm. But it will be fun. I actually can't make that promise either. We'll probably have fun. We promise nothing. Also- There's no money back yeah. guarantee. I'm a, I'm a, I've been married for a long time. I've learned not to promise anything <laughs> that I cannot be in complete control of. And even then, I'm not making fun of my wife. That's <laughs> not what that's about. Uh, here's your sport. The, but the institution of marriage, sure. Uh, here's your spoiler warning. This is a review show. There will be spoilers. Exercise some caution. Connor yeah. had the pick, and which means I didn't, so I'm in a great mood. The Lone Ranger number four from Dynamite, murdered by Mark Russell, art by Bob Q, letters by Hassan, Otsmain L.Y. And I'm, that's probably wrong. But he's on the cover, so that's nice. You don't have to see the letters get cover. Uh, it's happening a lot more. Yeah. I mean, when you have three creators, it's okay. When you have all those books with 15 people on it, then it becomes a problem. So this was the fourth issue of the Lone Ranger relaunch. We talked about the first, at least the first two. The third one happened while we were on break. And I'm just loving the story. I love the Lone Ranger. I talked about that before. Lone Ranger and Tonto are some of my favorite uh, fictional characters. And what I like about this book, amongst many things I like about this book, is that it's not Mark Russell going full Mark Russell. He's doing more of a just a regular action-adventure story. However... He's still Mark Russell, so underneath that story, there's some pretty great um, takes on modern capitalism and the and at a at a time in the history of this country, the 1880s, which was when rich guys started really carving out the world for themselves. The, the run up to the the Gilded Age. Yeah. So you have here the you know obviously it's the Lone Ranger and Tonto fighting evil guys on the plains, but those evil guys on the plains are the rich ranchers who've decided to start uh, fencing off the open range, which was basically just the plains anyone could use for their, their, their cattle drives or whatever. So the rich guys start deciding they're going to put up fences with barbed wire and and uh, kill those who get in their way. And that's been the story of this book. And this issue was particularly great. In the last issue, the Lone Ranger and Tonto cut all the fences and let all the cows out, which was bad enough. But then they made... This is totally Mark Russell. They made a brand that included all the elements of all the owners' brands and then branded all the cows so they couldn't tell whose cows was who. And look, that doesn't make any sense. Two people could never have done that, but it's hilarious. And here we see the fallout of the brief shootout at the end of the last issue in which one of the ranchers is killed. And immediately the other ranchers go to start stealing all of his cattle and screw his widow over and... And there's a hitman in town. This this is just really incredibly fun western action with that that little that little Mark Russell spice to it. Yeah, I have I have I have many thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's your review, so I I can hold no, off go on for it. Go you for it. Drop me at any point. I read number three and number four uh, concurrently just now, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, I think that I did not like it before, mm-hmm. but it didn't really stick with me all that much. You really loved the first issue, and that yeah. was fine. Uh, but I read through three and four, and I was like, "This is wonderful." And I, and I had I had a lot of thoughts of about many things. One, from an art and writing standpoint, uh, Dynamite have really lucked out 
with this. Yes. It is they're batting above their average, but I think their average is going up. Somebody I think on our our I was having this thought and then I saw somebody on our Facebook patron uh, page mention this that like, hey, there are a lot of good dynamite books now and I have to say I agree. They've really taken some of the licensed properties and turned them into something interesting and they they've done that by bringing on you know, Mark Russell, Jeff Parker, guys who who I think are more valuable than the industry considers them. They did this a couple of years ago too. They go through waves of bringing in, you know, yeah. better better people for a while. Garth Ennis, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, with this book, I I think these last two issues, I was like, we were seeing that Mark Russell sort of came out of nowhere, fully formed. When I interviewed him, it was he was like, I don't know, I'm just doing my thing. <laughs> Which was fucking enraging, but um, <laughs> but and I'm I'm going to come back to that point later in the show yeah. about something else. But that was sort of the case. But this to me was really him showing that he's got he's got something like a, and a, a, he was able to tamp down his personal voice enough, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but to till, still tell a compelling story that is genre correct. Yeah, I mean, this isn't this isn't the Flintstones as a thinly veiled right. vehicle for his views on society this is a straight up lone ranger story that if you even if you took out the mark russellisms would be still a really compelling lone ranger story yes, so clearly absolutely. he's a very very good writer and we should all hate him yeah i mean <laughs> but also be incredibly grateful for him. and also he's got a great companion here in bob q who we talked about yes. in the first issue and that was the next point is that you know like i i again talking about guys who showed up fully formed this guy's a great artist yes. a great comic book artist he is. And what is the other book he's drawing? Is it James Bond? It's James Bond Origin. Yeah. So he's doing two monthly books. Art and Colors. I don't I don't get it. He's the heir to Jack Kirby, is what I'm calling him. I assume he did one. Jack didn't even ink himself. <laughs> well, he was he doing 15 doing books, though. I, I just know. figured the work load is 15 similar. pages a week was his contract when he was uh, in the 70s, which I will never forget the number. It's action-packed. There's, some cu- there's a couple of really great... Uh, action panels here between Tonto and the Hitman, and who we'll get to in a second. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of when Tonto shoots the shotgun into the bar. It's a, it's a really yeah. dynamic page with stuff blowing up and the guy jumping over the bar. And then, of course, <laughs> I love the Tonto walking away while the bar explodes. I mean, you know, Mark Russell knows that he's tweaking convention here, but he he does it in a way that also honors the convention. I mean, we you and yeah. I are big are big Western fans, and this is right in the right in the in the in the between the lines. Of a, of well, Watson. I mean, the other thing I thought when I was reading this was he's not Garth Ennis, mm-hmm. but he's doing a lot of the things that I like about Garth Ennis in this story. Mm-hmm. I think that the addition of this Connor is his name. Yeah. The killer uh, was a very Garth Ennis, Garth Ennis yeah. kind of thing. And it, it, it fits. It, it wasn't like this is stupid. Like it, it fit. Uh, and it turned him into a well-rounded real person. Even though he's a psychopath, yeah, a real threat. Like I was like, oh, he's a real challenge. Only misstep in this book that like, man, the art is great. I mean, <laughs> like it's just the storytelling, the dynamics, the really canted angles, like yeah. the way that it's going, the foreground, background stuff. Sorry, I just like I was really thinking that the whole time. The only miss in this that I I thought was that there's the big fight in the bar, and Tonto sort of gets away. And you see that the chase is about to happen. And then we skip time in a way that was sort of – I wasn't really aware that we'd skip time. And then you, you cut to the bad guy. He's like, we got them. And they're both you know, in the, the coffins. And mm-hmm. I just feel like that was too – I went back a couple of times. like, wait, what happened? I can, I can agree with that. But what I did like about the, the structure of this issue was that 
there was a couple of feints, right? So you thought, yeah. First, yeah. you thought the Lone Ranger Tonto had the bad guys. They got him. They outsmarted him. But then it it's, it flips it back, and the bad guys actually outsmarted them, and it flips back to the bad. You, then then Tonto beats beats the killer named Connor, and then then suddenly Tonto and Lone Ranger are captured. But then you find out that the gold they were going to use to pay the bad guy who definitely needed to get paid or he will murder you is now missing, yeah. which means Lone Ranger Tonto are actually in charge. So I like that it kept going back and forth. Who was actually winning? Structurally, it's great. I think a lot of people, there's a lot of Mark Russell fans, especially who listen to our show, who may not be aware, even though we've talked about it, that he is a he, and you were, I mean, you're one of them, sort of forgot that he's doing Lone Ranger, and it's really good. Yeah. And the art is terrific. This, I mean, this book is really, really good. I've liked, I've liked every issue a lot. Yeah, and those, those, the last two, three and four specifically, I, I was, that really did a lot to hook me into it. You know, it's funny. There's this one bit at the beginning where Tonto is is working in a bar. I don't know how that happened, yeah. but whatever. His whole thing was he can be he can hide in plain sight as an Indian. Yeah, no, and I, I liked that. There was there was also a couple of moments, and I, I don't know that I can specify which of those issues, but like of genuine writing genius, and that line was one of them. Mm-hmm. It was like if you have they have nothing to take from you, you're invisible. Yep. And I was like, oh, that's good. That's like <laughs> not just you know that's some like Mark Twain shit. <laughs> Uh, he's in the bar, and the bartender is being abusive towards him. And he goes, "Hey, Tonto!" And I forgot for a second that the character actually is named Tonto. And I was like, "Ooh, that's racist!" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh wait, no, that actually is Tonto." <laughs> and I, I really like the conversation between Tonto and Connor. That was a great uh, scene where he has sympathy for the, what's happening to the Indians, and he, he tells his story about how he got, you know, he was a blockade runner with his dad, and. And then uh, it was in the camp, which in the Civil War, the camps were really terrible, the prison camps. really wants the person who he's going to kill to know that he's not a racist. Right. There's, a, there's some anachronisms in this like that. Like, I feel well, like sure. that's not a conversation anyone would have. I don't mind it. It's just, it's a choice that was made. That's the sort of winkiness of the book. Because, you know, there's a lot yeah. of conversations between the, between the ranchers that wouldn't happen. You know, yeah, it's and just, Tonto said, uh, like, uh, home field advantage. And I was like, yeah. that's not... I wouldn't exist. That's not a thing. It doesn't bother me. It's a modern take. You know, it's a modern take yeah. on. It's it's not unlike Brian Wood's uh, Northlanders, right? Which, although I don't think that he used language that was specifically like game time decision or, or home field advantage or something, but it's a choice, and I'm fine with it basically. But I well, it's the same. It. It's the same reasoning behind Deadwood's using modern vulgarity because they didn't want people to laugh at the the you know pr- the proper right. cor- correct vulgarity. Right. Fair enough. I like the phrase dollars to monkeys, and I hope it's not racist. I mean, pretty much anything can be racist if you think about it hard <laughs> enough. So, you know, you got to tread that line. This is a really terrific, bo- terrific book if you're a Mark Russell <laughs> fan, if you read Flintstones or Snagglepuss or any of the other, those other books. This is right in that, that wheelhouse, I guess we'll use it. For... <laughs> good Lone Ranger book. Yeah, it's a really good Lone Ranger book. And, yeah. you know, Dynamite has done Lone Ranger for a while. They've had the license for a, a while. And yeah. this is – I read – one of the one of the previous ones a while ago, a long time ago, when it was a more serious straight ahead Lone Ranger. Uh, it was a, I don't even remember who did it, but this is real good. Yep, this is real. You don't have to be a Lone Ranger fan to enjoy this book. No, it's good comics. Yeah. And now, I was really close to picking Captain America number seven at one point. Yeah. Tanahisi Coates, and the problem is, I thought. Adam Kubert was really inconsistent, and I couldn't, I couldn't make it the pick because I just thought the art really was not interesting. 
does a lot of great stuff. Qbert's really good, but I thought for whatever reason, the the face work was inconsistent. Steve Rogers' face kept completely changing throughout the book, and uh, I could, I didn't even recognize Winter Soldier. He drew him to look just like Bucky. I didn't know if that's how he looked now. He got older through the scene. Yeah. Like, if you look, he grows a beard over the course of that scene. Yeah, that's what I mean by inconsistent. It just, at first, I thought it was like some weird... Because wasn't there someone pretending to be Bucky in some other book? Yeah, in the, Buc- in the Winter Soldier book. At the okay. end of that book, remember there was a little young right. kid dressed yep. as Bucky? I thought that was who this was. Because he looked like he was like 17 in the, in the first couple of panels. And then by the end, you're right, he's got stubble. So it was stuff like that that I was like, I can't... How come, how come Lucan, in the first scene... Alexandra Lucan, mm-hmm. that is her, right? Yes. How come she's blonde in the like? I I, I don't remember her enough to know what she's supposed to. Well, look she's been like. blonde this whole series. Why she had dark hair in the first scene? Uh, the first scene no, that was a. Oh. Interesting. Maybe she's wearing a wig. I guess, but I don't know why. I like don't that know. would be the first thing I go to, but I found that confusing. Maybe that wasn't her. Well, wait, what's her? Then, then who? Yeah, they had to be. You've thrown me off my axis. Well, okay, I'm going to go ahead and bring it back around. I really, really want to like this. Mm-hmm. And I think that the first chunk of it had really interesting ideas in it. Um, but there were sort of fits and starts where I, I wasn't quite down with it. I got to the end of this issue and I thought that was really good from a, from a script standpoint. I can't say I really had a problem with the art. I think there was actually bits of it where I was like, oh, this is the Kubert I like. No, there were, there were definitely bits of that. It was just it yeah, was no, inconsistent like, throughout the book. We've been doing this for a long time, and I still don't know which Kubert is which. I know you that like, I like you one. Like Adam. I don't really like you. Yeah, and I like this one because it's more sketchy. It's more cartoony. It's more uh, expressive. But I really think that we are... Ta-Nehisi Coates is getting to the point here where he's able to express the ideas that he wants in this format in the in a in a in a good way and i th- I think i read the last black panther which i think was l- whenever it came out last mm-hmm. it wasn't this week and it, i thought the same thing i was like oh this is it you're get you're getting you know and i know people liked his first run or whatever but i couldn't quite get into it yeah, I, no. I think i think he's getting the tone right now he's coming into it and he, he's getting better which you always love to see yeah i did enjoy it. the problem for this series for me has been and we talked about it, not enjoying the captain america is evil everyone hates him storyline in general we hope that they move move beyond that and here they're leading into it okay fine but the way he leaned into it in this issue which was to tie it into all the times throughout cap's history that he's been the bad guy yep worked for me you know because i read all those all pretty much all those stories when he was nomad and you know when he when he when he had to be u.s agent and and all you know all the times the government has stripped him of his title throughout history u.s agent was only john walker at that point he was the captain Right, he was the captain, wearing the U.S. agent suit with the gray shield. But I also like the ending in which the, you know, the Daughters of Liberty shows up uh, as summoned by Sharon Carter, and it's it's a bunch of Spider Woman and Visible Woman and Mockingbird, and uh, I don't know who uh, two, I don't know who two of these people are. All right, so I think that's Misty, Misty Knight. Misty, yeah, it's Misty Knight. Mockingbird, Spider Woman. Is that X? X one, X two, whatever she is. X twenty three. X twenty three. She's got no. She's got no. Sh- no uh, claws. She's got wrappers on her arm. Is the woman on the left Agent Solomon? Gosh, it's just a brunette woman in regular clothes, so it could be literally yeah. anyone. Uh, and then in the back is that White Tiger? Maybe. But I, I like that tiger. development. I, I mean, I like the way this is going. If you have to, if you absolutely have to do this story, then tie it into the history. 
and and at least make it interesting. But I, it's going to yeah, be a I short mean, short leash on it though because I just don't I just don't like this story. And I, and I think that it is unrealistic to expect that Ta-Nehisi Coates is going to write a full-on rah-rah Captain America book. And the, that nuance is interesting to me, even though I agree with what you said before about that. So I'm looking forward. I mean, I was I dropped Black Panther a couple issues mm-hmm. ago. I've been it's on the slow. I've been on the fence with Captain America only because I, I haven't really I liked I really liked it the just not the story, mm-hmm. but now at least it's going in an interesting direction. Yep. So I can I can it's, roll I mean, with that. Yeah. It's interesting. It's 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 worth thinking about basically, which is a good sign. Another book that was in the running was Marvel Knights twentieth number six, huh. the final issue of the Marvel Knights tribute miniseries i just love that it's this weird little bubble story that they somehow still keep in continuity and it sort of all works and i love that when i turned the digital page turn to reveal the century i cursed i love a book that gets a reaction out of me yeah and and then i went well he was marvel knights right you know like exactly he should be I just like it. And the, the art was, yeah. I mean, the art was all over the place throughout the yeah. whole series. The writing was all over the place because they had like four writers. This was Donny Cates, and I just love his voice. Kim Jacinto drew the first half. Travel Foreman drew the second half. And I don't, I, I don't think that this, whatever this production method, however they're coloring him or doing whatever, yep. not, is doing Travel Foreman any favors. No. Kim Jacinto was the guy who was on um, the Century for a little while, that Lemire's Century, which, mm-hmm. what happened to that? Who's great, but I feel like it wasn't the the best version of his style here. Like he was trying to match with Travel Travel Foreman. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the whole series. Every time I got it, I saw an issue. I would be like, "Do I want to get this again?" <laughs> and then I would. And then at the end of it, I'd be like, "I'm glad I read that." But yeah, I just I just like that they did this bizarre little pocket event that yep. happened that no one else realized it happened because they used the device that made everyone forget the century to make everyone forget everyone. And then the end did it. At the end, everyone's back to normal, and no one really, no one but this small group of characters knew anything else happened. I like the kind of secret story within the, within the world that happened. Yeah. And, and it was a, it's a, it's a fun group of characters. Mm-hmm. You know, he writes a really good Punisher, as we've seen him write at the Punisher throughout many. Although he doesn't talk like a cowboy yet here. Mm-hmm. I thought he wrote a really good Daredevil too. Daredevil sort of the main character through this thing. Yeah. And uh, really good. I just, I just really enjoyed this little wacky tribute. Series, you know, I took a flyer in the first issue and I'm happy it went, went, went the way it did. Yeah, it's been fun, and I think that also, I mean, we were we were around for that first wave of Marvel Knights, and I don't know that people remember how important that was. I mean, it's, it saved Marvel. Yeah, I mean, probably like saved every, comics. Every, yeah, I mean, yeah, by extension, and you know, it led to the movies. It, everything comes from those four books. That, by the way, uh, if you haven't, there's a oral history of uh, Marvel Knights up on Marvel.com. That our former host uh, Ron Richards had, had something to do with, uh, but it's wonderful, yeah. and you should read it. Um, and because if you don't have the context for Marvel Knights when it was around and what this 20th anniversary story is, um, you're gonna appreciate. You know what I saw had shown up on Comicsology was the um, was the trade of the Punisher arc where he becomes an angel, God. and I downloaded it. <laughs> just did. just putting it out. Yes, I did. I, I didn't actually read that one because I, I had the same reaction that they talked about in the oral history. Where I was like, eh. Yeah. I know. I don't know that I did either, which means I'm totally going to read it. Because <laughs> <laughs> the the Josh reader now is not the same as the Josh reader then, and I, and I love that. I love discovering that difference. I think that's really fun. 
the Flash annual number two. So what DC has been doing with their annuals, at least lately, is instead of making them sort of whatever side story projects, these have been squarely in the middle of the storylines they're telling in the regular books. So this week with The Flash, also with Justice League, which is basically just the next issue of that story. So if you would, if you skip the annuals, you probably are going to be confused when you come back to the next issue. But here, so it's Josh Williamson writing and Scott Collins, the great Flash artist on art duties. And there's a lot of, you know, this the Flash book sort of encapsulates the bizarre problems at the foundation of DC right now. And we've, t- we've talked many times about how they... And they keep bringing other characters from the old continuity back, and they keep talking about how things are wrong and how we've got to fix it. But they never actually make any steps that direction. So you have, for a long time, and you have dude. to wonder why they keep doing it because they they see they make they make no indication they're going to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So here, as we saw in the Young Justice book, Impulse has returned, and he's looking for his old friends and family. And it was just like a like a cold stabbing into my heart as he's running around looking for. For Max Mercury and Connor Hawk and Tim Drake and Cassie Sandsmark and Jake Garrick and Jesse Quick and I was just like, they're not around. <laughs> Stop tormenting me. Also, we deal with the fallout from from Wally's quote unquote murder in Heroes in Crisis, which we're going to talk about in a second. So, what do you think about the way they're handling this? Did you read this issue? You told me to, and I forgot about it. Okay. Um, I'm looking through it now, so. I mean, like, I'm kind of going through it right now, and... <sighs> well, you know in general what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I do, and it, but it, when I'm I'm just flipping through it now, it feels like what you're saying is true, but also they've got this old family that they've sort of shelved, but now there's all these new people, and I, I do feel like I'm like, really, you're doing the, the Godspeed Flash thing again? Yeah. Because that seems to keep coming back, and... and uh, and I just literally saw a line where he's oddly enough, you can skim through this and kind of get the story pretty quickly, which I guess is that's good art, by the way. Yeah. That's what that means. Yep. Uh, but there's a bit like I thought you were looking for redemption, Godspeed, and then Godspeed gets all like vague, and I'm just like, just make a choice. Like I don't like going on and on with vague, and I stopped reading this a while ago, yeah. and it's still vague, so that's not a good sign. And yeah. I think that's basically what you're getting at is that instead of choosing a direction, you keep hinting that you're going to choose a direction. Choose erection. Choose your action. Choose life. Choose a big TV. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, you keep hinting they're going to choose a direction, but don't. And I think that is problematic because that actually works. What you're trying to do is create that illusion of, of progress, but the status quo is changing. But this is actually a worse version of that. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, I mean, yeah. like, obviously, I think we, and we talked a lot about how I think a lot of the problems that DC lost their way. The idea to do New 52 is a good one. They never fully committed to it, and it never fully, it never came out fully formed. And so, if that's what you want to do, fine. But then go that way and stop doing these things. Stop bringing impulse back from the other timeline, or Wally West, or all the, I mean, whoever else has come back from the other timelines, and be like, "Oh, why is everything so wrong?" It's like, I don't know, man, because they won't, they won't tell us. No one, you know, Doomsday Clock's not doing anything about it, so. I think, I mean, I think that was your problem at the beginning. I talked to Josh Williamson about this on our show a long time ago, and um, I was trying to think of what I'm supposed to say and what I'm not, but it was a long time ago. And basically, the the mandate was, he just done the, the button, mm-hmm. I think, and it was, can't ask me anything about Watchmen, I can't say anything, one way or the other. And I was right. like, okay. So that was the idea that I think it was all tied in. 
to that right. at some point. Something changed. Oh, clearly this, something this changed. Is, this is this is the uh, this is the new Avengers closet, kind of all over it, again. But but in a universe wide closet scale. I mean, this is a big yeah. closet. It's a big closet and a big Twinkie. So I don't necessarily fault the creator at that, but I think that no, I'm I'm, compl- I'm saying this is a DC problem running in running in place. Yeah, this is a DC editorial problem. I don't fault these people for following their orders. That's what their job is. But yeah, um, it's it just like there was weird. At the end though with Godspeed that I was just talking about. So that that's kind of interesting. Do you know who the person is at the end? No, I don't. Okay. I, it really I, I don't I did like reading through this issue and just looking through it right now. It seemed like I was like this is they, you've done this scene. You've done, you know, like showing up with Iris and she gets sad and like Wally's gone, Wally's back, Wally's gone. Like, right? Okay, like it must be boring at this point. But I also think the other thing that's happening, boy, for a person who didn't read the issue, I have just talked a lot. Um, <laughs> the other thing that's happening is that this is also the effect of the double shipping. Yeah, it's that it feels like we're moving twice as fast but slower. There's a lot, there's a lot more, there's a lot more water treading when you have to, when, when that yeah. happens. Yeah, and and again, not the fault of the creators necessarily, but it's changed the pace of everything, so everything feels different than it used to. It's not necessarily bad, but it 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 makes it feel like it's not worth it. The issue looked really good, though. It did. No, he's the guy. It's funny. I think that like Scott Collins is terrible. Like I kind of like Scott Collins. He's doing Flash, and otherwise, I'm like, can take it or leave it. There was something he did that we really liked. Um, I don't yeah, remember what it was, will, but. No, but he's 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 right for that that particular look, and also like you associate it with a time when like that was the that was the Flash. So it's like right. just play the hits, Collins. Like, <laughs> um, unfortunately, I want to hear Freebird. We didn't talk about Heroes in Crisis number four. Heroes in Crisis number five. I had an interesting conversation with myself after reading it, in, <laughs> in which I said, "You don't like the main premise, but can your book you don't like the main premise of be the pick of the week?" I was like, I don't think so. This is where I was when I brought it up the last time we talked yeah. about it. Clayman drew almost all this issue, except for like three pages, I believe it said in the in the thing. So it looked terrific. And as we've said before, the individual scenes are good. And here we finally get some movement in which the thing that we said, and not just us, but lots of people said in the first issue, is that there's no way that they're killing off Wally West off camera. Uh, there's some finally hints that that is, that is probably true. That mm-hmm. there's something wrong and that his body is wrong and is not really Wally West. Or at least the Wally West we think we know. Mm-hmm. Now the problem is, again, the central conceit I think is is all wrong. But the the other problem on the third hand is it's really hard to criticize because Tom King's been very open about when he came back from the war having PTSD and having a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. And he's clearly working through that here. So how can I criticize an artist who's clearly I, I, working through his feelings, even though if I feel those feelings are completely wrong coming out of the mouth of Superman? The same thing happening in Captain America. Right. I can't criticize Tom and he's coach from coming at that with the angle that he's coming at it with, especially given the storyline he had to work with beforehand. But this is the same thing. And so at the end of the day, like, is what they're doing valid, even if it's not your preferred expression of those characters mm-hmm. I think I think the answer is yes and just wait around you'll get the other thing eventually I just don't buy Superman having an emotional breakdown for him in front of people giving a speech about his feelings I just don't buy it I, 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 I see that and I think that you are probably right but 
I, it's almost it's like a completely different version of suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. Um, do you okay? How about this? Do you believe he'd have those feelings? Do you I believe that the things that he said are valid. I believe he would tell someone that. Okay. I believe he That's would tell them one hundred percent. Hey, just because you're sad or just because you need to talk to the therapist doesn't just because you feel like you're broken doesn't mean you're a broken person. I believe one hundred percent he would tell someone that. I don't think right. Superman would feel that about himself. I don't okay. believe Superman would also have those feelings because he is he is Superman. Is, well, I mean, yeah, but I, we've had it expressed that like he feels regret in that he can't really save everybody and then sure. he does this stuff for humanity and they still like we've seen that frustrated Superman. Like I do. Yeah, all I just I just don't believe people. in a neurotic Superman. I don't think that that's neuroses necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think that that's. I mean, that's further show that the alien is human, vice versa. Yeah. You know, mental anguish has nothing to do with physical capability or even or even sort of just life capability. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he would decide it's the best choice to do that in front of everybody unless, for example, he looks out at a world that is broken and is trying to communicate to a lot of people that it's okay to feel like this. I do buy that. Sure, but that's not what he's doing here. Okay. Because he's clearly, when he stops speaking and Wonder Woman has to console him in the speech, clearly, I mean, I just... And again, it's hard to criticize because it's the artist working through his own pain, and that's I, all over the page. So, I, and I feel for him. I would also say that Superman is is empathetic. It is not maybe it's not necessarily what he's feeling, but he's empathetic to it. He understands sorrow. He understands you know loss. He understands mm-hmm. all those things and how it affects people. Mm-hmm. And and you know one thing he has to be empathetic because he is an alien because he has the ability to do anything. And so these are his friends or these are, you know, his colleagues or whatever, or this is just a metaphor for the world. I don't think that doesn't work. However, what doesn't work as pointed out by uh, our pal, former DC publicist and current head of Archie comics, Alex Segura, I'd like to see in what world two men in their thirties can eat pizzas and drink beer and still have visible abs like that. (laughs) They're superheroes. I guess so. No, Ted Gord's just a dude. Also, so is Booster Gold for that matter. Well, that was the whole joke in the Justice League book way back in the eighties. Was that Ted started to get fat, and so he That's had like a he had, joke. He had like a gut for a while. I love that. Or were they attack the Flash for no reason to figure out what he's found out in the in the? In, I. Oh, and it, I thought they did that for a reason. Like it wasn't actually an attack. But either way, I, I mean, I think. As opposed to asking him, hey, what's going on with the investigation? Booster comes crashing through the window. Hey, Barry, how's the whole mystery solver going? Did I do it? Listen, Tom King has a Booster Gold problem. (laughs) We've seen this a few times, and it's a little like, what the fuck is this? Now, I can't say that I'm all that concerned because I don't know that there is a a, a Booster Gold set in stone. I also don't necessarily think that what we're seeing – I mean, we're only halfway through. There's four more issues, so – one thing we've learned with Tom King's later work is that as he's grown by leaps and bounds very quickly is that he usually has a plan. So sure. I'm not so concerned with the structure of the story as I sure. am with some of the characterizations and the underlying idea of sanctuary in general. I, as we said before, I don't believe it would ever exist in this world. There's no way that they would ever allow these people to give their secrets to a computer for reasons that we've seen. They got it gets hacked. I mean, the art is terrific. There's some really great sequences here, especially as... Superman's giving a speech, and we see sort of a whole look through the DC universe that's almost the proper Adam Strange. 
Oh, yeah, no, that's a good Adam Strange. Also, Blue Devil showed up. Always like that. Yeah, I mean, some really good Adam and Zatanna and Swamp Thing. Some really great Clay Man here. The thing, I mean, the thing is, like, I can tell you that he has a Booster Gold problem, but I like it. My favorite part of this was that Booster's going to go do something stupid, so Beetle's like, all right, I'm coming with you. (laughs) Yeah, no. I love that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's my favorite thing when a really good friend goes ahead with you to with your bad decision. And those two would definitely do it. I mean, yes, that was the best part of that that those old books. Yep. Listen, I think this is the dumbest move you could possibly do, but I'll be there. <laughs> I, that that is like my sweet spot of relationship stuff right there, yeah. man. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a conflicting book. Yep. The thing is, though, when it comes out, I'm always really intrigued. So, I mean, and that's what you want. You, I mean, it's it's challenging in a bunch of different ways, but mm-hmm. you know, for sure. I'm thinking about it right now. I'm like, you know what I did do though? What'd you do? Knowing we were recording today, knowing that Mac Weldon was the sponsor of the show, I made sure to wear my Mac Weldon underwear today because the last couple of times I forgot. But this time I was like, nope. I want to be able to feel the comfort as we talk about it. <laughs> you just said anything better than I would. <laughs> I'm wearing my Mac Weldon's uh, largely because. Which color? Hold on. I can't, it's winter, so I'm pretty pretty trussed up here. <laughs> it's like a royal blue. Oh, it's like a, like, I've got like a sky blue. Yeah, it's like a like a like a like a 70s Batman mm. outer underwear color. Nice. It's kind of what's going on there. Thank you, Connor. Thank you. It is nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now, unless you're us. And tell us what color underwear you're wearing, everyone. Yeah. That's what I really want to know. <laughs> it's not weird at all. I don't really want photos, but I'm yeah. not going to tell you not to if that's what makes you happy. Whoa, I'm going to tell you not to. I just, I'm not, I'm not requesting it. I'm saying but no. I'm not going to prohibit. Okay, so you're just going to say no. Yeah, I mean, if you want to sit and write to Josh, that's clearly he's fine with it. So go for it. You know, I'm not asking for it. I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily want it. But if that's going to make you happy, then I, I can't stop it. I can't say I won't block you. <laughs> I'll tell you that much because, you know, there's a there's a very fine line here. Sure. Mac Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. They will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more than you will that you will ever wear. I, I believe we're pretty close to that. Every time I put on that T-shirt, I'm like, oh, man. This T-shirt's great. I saw a picture of me wearing that that T-shirt at one point. I was like, you look good in that shirt, Josh. <laughs> Plus, it was soft. There's no nipple shave happening whatsoever. Uh, there is a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial. They eliminate odor. They do not stink. I use the. I have a few pairs of those, not the majority of my collection. Those are for what I like to call active days. Mm. Uh-huh. Your jogging days? You know, you're going to do something that uh, uh, takes energy, that you, maybe you'll be expending some energy, perhaps perhaps breaking a sweat, something like that. But you want to be able to try to stay as cool and fresh as possible. I use those for the it's, – it's, it's laser targeting of underwear usage. Sure. A lot of people, they'll just wear one pair of underwear for everything. Those people are savages. Uh, <laughs> they want you to be comfortable. If you don't like that first pair, you keep it. They will still refund you. No questions asked. They don't want your dirty underwear back. And after a little while – you're going to be like, oh, I do like these underwear. Mm-hmm. But you're also going to feel good about them because they let you keep them and gave you your money. You can't hold anybody in negative regard for that. No. You're just, you're just, it's just, it's not going to happen. Not only do Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too. It's good for working out. 
going to work, going on dates, just everywhere life, everyday life, everywhere. I combined underwear and everywhere. So we're clear. And this is what we're talking about, targeted underwear usage or just whatever. They can take that marketing slogan, everywhere life. Everywhere life. I feel like I'm pretty close to needing to make another another purchase. Fill in the fill in the stuff a little bit. Well, because you're well. someone who cares about the quality of the clothing on their skin. So Oh, oh, hundred percent. I am I'm a middle class snob in that way. Mm-hmm. I, I you know, like once you go once you go that way, it's hard to go back, you know, to just the multiple bag of sort of underwear that you know what I hated? <laughs> the, like old crappy underwear like stretches out. Mm-hmm. And it had like after not very long. Yeah. And then you've got like it's it's I I wear a boxer brief. Yeah. There you go. I think we've we've crossed a bridge here. Sure. But like it doesn't hold on the leg, and then the the front bit gets loose. The leg getting stretched out was the worst. You end up you end up having this weird like kind of skirt situation between the two legs. Yeah, that and like the like if I wanted boxers, I'd wear that. Like I've had I don't know when we started doing ads with Mac Weldon when I started buying them, but like they're all tip top, dude. Yeah. And I wash them and wear them and do the thing. I, and the only reason I'd be adding more is because some of the older stuff that I had is starting to wear out. And I need to replace them so mm-hmm. that I have enough to get through, like, you know, the allotted time between laundry, sure. I think. Yeah. Your goal is to have a new pair every day of the month. Wow. That's – see, that feels like too much for me. <laughs> well, you don't leave the house. So you, don't need, you don't need that. What's that – Okay, now I, I leave. I go. I pick up my kids. I come home. I go pick up the kids. I send them back. Sometimes every other weekend I might leave for a little while. I see. Yeah, but you know, like the fact is, I am sitting around the house all the time, so I want that to be comfy, and I need I need everything in place. You know what I'm saying? I gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, twenty percent off your first order. Go to macweldon.com. Enter the promo code iFanboy at checkout. That is a good deal, by the way. Mm-hmm. If you have not taken advantage of it for that first order. And I, I thank them very much for sponsoring the show and for being in my life. And making it softer and more comfortable. I just I also like that it lets me talk about some of the details of my undergarments with my best friend and thousands of other people. <laughs> That's nice. That's a thing I don't know that I expected would happen in my life. So G. Willow Wilson had two books out this week, one from Marvel, Miss Marvel 37, and That sounds like an expl G. Willow Wilson. G. Willow Wilson. I think her, I mean, her run is ending soon. I, I believe it, it might be the next issue because it's the fifth anniversary issue, but we'll see. But this is a really great issue to check out if you've never read Miss Marvel but have heard a lot about it. It's uh, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Nico Leon. It's a one shot where Kamala Khan is babysitting her uh, niece or nephew. Is it a boy or a girl? Oh, it's, a, it's her nephew. And while that happens, uh, a bunch of water mains break in Jersey City and there's a flood. So. She's not fighting a supervillain. As, as the joke in here, the supervillain is aging infrastructure. And so while she's trying to help people with the flood, she's also got a baby to take care of. And it gives her a chance to sort of run into and meet a lot of the major characters that she has dealt with over the course of the last five years. Uh, so this is we're definitely getting into the swan song territory for G. Will Wilson. But it's a really charming issue, as these all have been. Terrific art by Nico Leon. It'll be sad when she when G. Will Wilson is gone. What she's done here with Kamala Khan is really spectacular. And that leads me into Wonder Woman 63, G. Will Wilson, Emanuela Lupacino. And this is the first issue since the last arc. It's it's basically a one it's not I think it's a part one issue, but it's kind of reads like a one shot. And I liked the first arc. We talked about it. It was solid, but it almost didn't read like it was G. Willow Wilson. And like the writer you wanted to have from Miss Marvel was didn't feel like she was writing Wonder Woman. This was the first issue 
where I felt like, oh, this is the same writer. This is the same uh, writer who is capable of writing incredibly charming, funny characters. And in this issue, The New World, the Minotaur and the Pegasus horse and the whatever that creature is are loose in DC. They're they the ones that showed up in the last arc. And as they deal with the world, it was really funny and really sweet and really charming. I laughed out loud a few times. And I was like, oh, good. Because I was worried that Wilson was going to buckle under the weight of the character as so many other great writers have done in the past. Explain. We've discussed before how writers maybe feel intimidated by Wonder Woman as an icon and feel okay. and, and it becomes right. difficult to tell good stories because yep, yep, yep. the iconic status of the, the most popular female su- character in comics and Superman writers have this trouble too sometimes. Yeah. You know who doesn't do that? Graham Morrison. He's the only guy no. who can get away with that. He can go, yeah, they're icons. Let's do this. Everybody else needs to just be like, who's this person? Yeah, they, it just they're always trying to tell these grand stories. And, but here, this is extremely grounded. She's hardly in it, Wonder Woman. Do you know when that worked? I'm going to make this show long. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's okay. That worked in the 80s and prior. Mm-hmm. Because you could be grandiose and still be goofy at the same time. This is why Graham Morrison can get away with it. But as we hit the post-86 era and people wanted to try to make their work important, mm-hmm. it got harder to do. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's absolutely true. But also for a character like Wonder Woman, I think it leads to overly serious stories. Okay. You know, well, you know for, a lo- for a long time, we would say that Superman had no personality and we always liked it when writers would let him you know, joke around or have a temper yeah, or whatever. Have fun with it. That's the same problem often happens with Wonder Woman is they, they want her to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And so she tends up becoming boring. I think you've cracked a code here. And here, at least the writing has a lot of personality and heart charm. So I'm hoping that will translate into the character as well. But I was really happy to read this issue. This also could have been picked the week. It was a weird week where like, nothing blew my socks off, but there was like six things I could have made pick of the week. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. Including Action Comics 1007, Brian Michael Bendis, of course. This time, art by another Marvel mainstay, Steve Epting. He's just bringing them over like the Berlin Wall in the 1960s. He's sneaking them all through. My problem with this issue, which was a terrific issue, was that I don't think that the Brad Anderson colors, who's otherwise a really good colorist, worked with Steve Epting. I thought they were too harsh. I thought they were too bright. I think Steve Epting works with a softer, more muted palette. Like he did with, with Captain America, that kind of uh, was it Dean White who was uh, Frank Darmada, then mm, Elizabeth Brightweiser eventually. We've been awesome with remembering names today. Well, just want to give us credit for that because last week was a fucking shit show. Although there was a couple of scenes, like the scene with Lois and her dad was in a dark situation, mm-hmm. so the colors were darker, and that scene worked a lot better. That one looked kind of like Velvet, actually. But some of the other stuff didn't work. Although there were some really great scenes, I really loved the scene of Superman flying through Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And just, hey, how's it going? Hey, Superman. Hey, everyone. How was school? I mean, that's the, talking about the personality that Bendis gives to Superman that I love. So, I disagree with you. On everything or just uh, this? No, uh, no, just the color. Okay. That's I, fine. I didn't, mind the, I didn't mind the color at all. I actually think that, that that style that you're talking about that we've seen on him in the past, uh, most recently in Velvet, mm-hmm. I think is great for those books. But I don't think that that works for Superman. I think it's too dark. And so by brightening up the stuff, by having the contrast of the red and blue at the sort of the shade that they're supposed to be, we think that's more appropriate. Um, and I think that that takes off some of the more 
noirish edge that Epting brings to the table. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's different, but I think that it works for this. If you want to see something that doesn't work, look at the colors on the cover for Epting's work. That looks fucking terrible. Okay. The beginning of Leviathan Rising. However, the Pat Gleason alternate cover. Oh, yeah, that's really bad. Fucking that's, that's him, beautiful. though. I know. That's when he paints himself. I know. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I don't think that looks good. It flattens his workout. When, when he paints himself, it ends up... He loses a lot of the depth which is, and texture which to his work. Which is weird. Yeah. So I think that the rest of it actually works for this book. I don't think it really took anything away from... It's not covering up his lines, which I think is really good. Like, mm-hmm. if you look, there's, there's bits with Jimmy Olsen has, like, uh, black, like, either bruises or dust dirt on him from the night before. Mm-hmm. Like, that's still there. I think when people tend to wash him out, they tend to flatten those edges. Right. But I think they're still here just enough. Yeah. I think the colors on Superman are great and they work. Otherwise, I think he'd look too noiry, too early 2000s, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. That being said, I, I like this issue a lot. I really like the issue of Superman that came before this that I wasn't on the show for. Yes, the one that was Pick of the Week. Yeah, yeah, obviously. You know, it's it, it, we talk about Ben to Superman a lot, and it, it's you know, Ep- Epting has kind of a Kurt Swanish look to his Superman, yeah. which I like. Yeah, yeah, that is true. And I, I kind of I was reading it and I was like, who is this? And because I didn't I don't I didn't look at the beginning and yeah. I was like, oh, Epting, and it surprised me in a good way. <laughs> well, yeah, I was like, whoa, yeah. But it was it was not like it was not immediately recognizable as as the Epting Brubaker version would have been. So I liked that. Right. I wanted to really quickly check in on Skyward. You may remember long ago, first issue was pick of the week, and I don't know that we've talked about it since then. Uh, a couple of times, but not not super often. Not much. Yeah. I guess I'm just checking in. I dug this in the last issue a lot. There were some really nice twists and turns. I think that happened things that were the opposite of what you would expect. Mm-hmm. Breaking convention, basically. The girl, I don't know his name. The girl falls in with this like group of uh, revolutionary farmers, sure. um, and it, it feels like they found their people, and now they're going to have a, an army behind them, and then they'll be on their way to success. And uh, she goes back in the room with her friend who has no legs, and is is like, uh, these people are crazy, <laughs> which I thought was really fun. And then they they start to fight, and then they have to make their enemy their friend again, but their enemy is still an asshole, and so he's completely untrustworthy. And it's fun and it's changing. Like, they're building out this world. We're 10 issues in and I feel like we've made a lot of progress. It's funny because it's coming out monthly. And I think pretty regularly. But it feels really slow with the pace of everything else that's happening. Mm -hmm. And I'd prefer this, mind you. I would like to see what happens next because I I disagree slightly. I just feel like they were spending a lot of time with this farm, people. And it's sort of treaded water for for a while. Yeah, but it's three or four issues. I mean, that's like an arc. Yeah, I, but I, I, don't, I don't think it needed a full arc because we kind of kept treading the same ground over and okay. over in which the farm people want revenge and the city people and, you know, it just, it just I feel like I had the same conversation among the characters a couple of times. So I was like, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, it was not terrible though. I super dig the Lee Garbett art in this. Yeah, it's really good. I love the way it's colored. Antonio Fabella on that. The, the cover is actually just sort of a translation of one of the interior pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous sort of painted kind of cover, and I I really like the colors and the composition going on there where she's up in the air with her, like, wings and the the whole place is burning. And the dialogue's been strong. It's it's a a pretty strong book. It's really well written. Joe Henderson from from TV. And he's a first-time comic writer, right? Yeah, so he he didn't come with the TV baggage that people normally come with. No, and and it's, it's, it's noticeable and impressive. So those are the books we wanted to talk about, but if you go to patreon.com slash ifanboy and join up and support the show, any patron can vote to add a book to the rundown. And this week was very interesting voting. For a long time, 
one book was winning and then the second book was winning and then the book that actually won wasn't even in the mix to win until the second day of voting. Like it was down at the bottom of the voting list. And then, and then a campaign began on the patron page and it suddenly it was way ahead and it ended up blowing everybody else away. And that book is Peter Ken Thunderbolt, number one from Dynamite, our second Dynamite book, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Casper Wungard. And Josh is on the cover. I do what I can. When did you model for the cover, Josh? Because I have to now go back to that part because I kind of know what you're talking about, but I don't. I don't think I noticed that. Yeah, that's. I mean, that was when I had abs, so it was quite a while ago, which is never. It looks a lot like you, the face. Yeah, the nose has to pop up a little more. A little but, more. Uh, but I'll take close. it. Uh, he's got. Look at that. Look at the traps on that guy. Yeah, I mean, I realize you know you wear a lot of sweaters. People may not realize that you're basically like two percent body fat. Oh, I mean, I, I could crush you. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's a Sean Phillips cover, which is surprising. Yeah. Well, we're talking about how they're getting better people. And also, Sean Cassidy can't do them all at uh, Dynamite. Uh, does he anymore? Does he still do that? Well, he did Lone Ranger. Okay. So, I don't know a goddamn thing about Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. I do now. I've always heard the name, but I don't know I don't know where the license is from. I don't know where people have read him before. Is it only a comic did character? You, did I you look know, it up? No, I didn't look it up. Well, I have a couple of things then to fill you in. Why don't you tell me? As I'm reading this, I thought to myself, boy, he's quite Ozymandias-like. Oh, yes. And then... Well, well, uh, I thought I we weren't getting up. into that part yet. I thought you were looking up the history, because yes. No, but no, but that has to do with it. So then after I finished it, not before, I went and I looked up the character I've never heard of. And if you go to the Wikipedia page, it's it's a Charlton character. Oh. Thought, oh. Now, oddly enough, the Wikipedia page makes no mention of Ozymandias. But clearly, this is the Charlton character that Alan Moore's Watchmen Osmandius was based on. Well, is that what they have always said? It seems to be the case. And, and Kieran Gillen talked about it in an interview I, I, I found. I think that's, that, that has to be true. I mean, there's, I don't see how it isn't. Yeah. He's, it, uh, there can't be another Charlton character that is this Osmandius-like that Alan Moore would have based it on. And, and maybe I'm wrong and somebody can come along. Hold but. on. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm looking at an, uh, an article, which characters were based on which in Thunderbolts. Yeah. yeah, Peter Cannon was on. Yes, because no, that makes sense. Because at first I was like, okay, so this is Ozymandias. And that's obviously wrong because Peter Cannon came first, so I apologize. But it's also because it's a secret plot to bring to the world together by, There's that too. by creating an outside invasion. And I was like, but this is really Ozymandias. To... So this brings up the question that I sort of had reading it. How much influence is Kieran Gilling pulling from the Alan Moore interpretation of this character, which is what I'm just going to call it, mm-hmm. versus the pre-Alan Moore interpretation of the character? Yeah. Is this a comment on that? Not, none of those are bad things. Mm-hmm. Just maybe think about it. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, and I noticed that too. The plot line is exactly that. When I read the issue, I had no idea what it was. I had no idea what to expect. I saw the cover, yeah. and I thought, I don't want to read that. Like, I thought, I don't want to read another uh, a licensed superhero book from Dynamite. I don't want that at all. But I was a little intrigued because— I wanted to read uh, it more than some of the other books that are getting votes. I agree with that. I'm glad it wasn't an 80-page giant, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> and, and just, you know, to, to I, I really enjoyed it. Interesting. I, I did. I enjoyed it. I liked— so I was mentioning this earlier is that when we talked about Mark Russell, that he sort of arrived fully formed. He hasn't really been around that long and he's doing still doing A plus work yeah. in different genres now and being able to and I feel like Kieran Gillen, who's been around a long time now. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. still kind of think of him as a rookie, but it's been no, at least no, a decade. No, no, so no, no. no, I know. But he's a guy to me who has really developed 
into a very strong writer. I think he did stuff that I liked and he had an interesting voice for a long time, but it for the first chunk of time, he's pretty esoteric and I think he was maybe not clear enough that what he needed to be, but he had a way with language, he had an imagination, he had a voice, all of that was really good. And I think now uh, he's really turned into a pretty highly skilled writer where he can do things like licensed books and stuff like that. He did the Darth Vader book and he did um, – he's doing the Star Wars books now You know, in addition to his own creator-owned stuff where he gets to sort of express himself and, and uh, the, the role-playing game book that we've been reading that the, the patrons also picked. Die. I don't know. My I was conflicted about this because I didn't – I found myself not really at all engaged in the story. Mm-hmm. So I started looking at it from like a technical point of view like – Okay, is 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 giving us zero context working here? Because sometimes it, it did. I I, I considered that, and I thought it was. I liked that. And so I, I was wrestling with that as I was reading. It's like, okay, I mean, I'm following the story. It's obviously not confusing. I I get it. I, he gives us enough information about all the characters, and and we learn about the invasion, the alien invasion, which is not really an alien invasion as it turns out. And there's no squid monsters, but it's pretty much the same. And I just I guess I was distracted by. And not knowing the context, I was distracted by how close it was. Because at first I was like, oh, it's another one of those like emotionally detached genius characters. Okay. There's a lot of those. And he's blonde. I was like, he's yep. really got an Ozymandias vibe here. And then the, the, when he said the invasion is not really an invasion. It's meant to bring us together. I was like, well, wait a minute. So it, partially it's my fault for not knowing. But then again, it's not my fault because the book should give you the context of what you're reading. Especially in a genre in which one book has so defined the the whole thing, the medium, uh, maybe a little more that separates the two. Yeah, I think if there's, I mean, it's not their fault. Peter Peter Cannon came first, so Peter Cannon, yep. by all rights, has the right to these kind of stories, I assume. But it was he's been eclipsed by the knockoff version, and so I I think it's an interesting choice to make the first story so much a. So much that like Watchmen in in this way. I think that I'm going to give Kieran Gillen, I think that I have been, is the benefit of the doubt in terms of like he's absolutely aware that he's doing that. Oh, for sure he's aware. Uh, I mean, he's a British writer who came up in the post-age of Alan Moore. There's no way that he probably knows that book front and back. So if I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, the fact that he knows that and he's being referential towards it is probably a feature, not a bug. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I think it could be interesting. And I think the other thing that was happening here is I noticed right away, I was like, okay, they're just throwing us in this. I don't know who any of these people are. And at this point, I hadn't even looked up who the character was. I think there was a lot of stuff. Character's attitude was different than Osmandius. Hmm. Osmandius, it was like a like a crazy evil person who meant good but was also very arrogant. This character was a little more ambivalent. I don't know if we know enough about him to know if, you know, if he's – well, his, what he was projecting was like, why should I care about this world? You know, uh, a little more detached, mm-hmm. a little more spectrum-y, if I might say so. Sure. I just th- I think there's probably something to it. But I liked n- not knowing because basically well, then what I got to do was watch the book and pay attention to the craft to see how they were going to reveal these things to me without telling me outright, which I kind of appreciate. Mm-hmm. And it basically, I mean, but the, the thing is basically, like, I looked at the cover, I didn't know who it was or what the guy, and I thought, I'm not going to want to read this. And then as I kept going, you know, I was like, this isn't that bad. You know, and then by the end, I was like, that's pretty good. And I, I liked the twists, and I think it was only after the fact that I sort of was like, oh, it is a lot like Watchmen. But I don't, I didn't mind it when I was reading it. So I absolutely hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you're wrong, but it, it worked for me. So let's do ratings. Ratings. Ratings out of five. I'm going to give it a three. 4.25. 
Are you going to stick with it? Yep. No. I love this. Yeah, this fun. is very this is very different for us. So there you go. Patreon pick. Patreon.com slash FM. Where you can go and help out. And anyone who joins up can vote to add a book to the rundown. We thank everyone who does vote. And that's also where you can go to help support the show in general. Get us to our next stretch goal, which is a non-comics media podcast we'll do monthly for you. Like a little all-media show every month for you. Obviously not three hours long like the all-media show. That would kill us. So if you want to get to that goal, as well as to upload all the missing video shows, the minis we've done, all the ones that were recently removed from YouTube by our old distributor, we'll, re- we'll put them up on our own channel. We'll re-embed them on the website if we get to the next stretch goal. So if you want to help us out, patreon.com slash ifanboy. Also, our t-shirt store, ifanboythreadless.com. That's where you can find our t-shirts, ifanboy logo, our Herm shirt, our Pick of the Week podcast ratings, if one is Electro, GDAT, and Nothing Makes Sense, Nothing Matters. Those are all available there. We thank everyone who purchases those. And you can also help us out by going to fanboy.com slash support. That's where you can help us out directly via PayPal if you don't want to buy a shirt or join Patreon, which is totally understandable and totally fine. Also, finally, fanboy.com slash Amazon. That's where you can find a link to all the books in the books load. We've got to add the new one up there and also a general link. And we thank everyone who does all those things to help us out. We do appreciate all of that. Additionally, at Patreon, if you give it the $5 or higher level, you get your own superpower live on the show. And I don't know, Josh, if you heard when you were gone when Ryan broke the show, broke the broke the process but he did i didn't hear because i just finished those books so i'll go back go back and listen he uh he, I may, will. he may have ended the patron powers wow we'll, we'll truck on as best we can sean thanks for being a patron sean he knows the real truth behind every song wow that's excellent so he knows if it's based on reality he knows if it's just something the singer made up he knows everything so do you want that, though? It's a curse for Sean. And also for, for women that he's on dates with. <laughs> <laughs> or anyone in his life, really. Yeah, yeah. Listen, sometimes these are blessings and sometimes they're curses. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I like I kind of like it, but I think that would take away a lot. He just knows it. He just knows it. He hasn't read the books or done whatever. No, he just knows it. He hears the song and knows the truth. No, I don't think I'd want that. I think that would ruin a lot of stuff. Well... Good thing you're not Sean, then. Like, imagine if you knew every shitty thing behind every song John Lennon ever wrote. Well, you know, I mean, it's 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 similar, I think, to films now, where everyone knows everything about the behind the scenes of movies and how they're made. And Sean is burdened with the knowledge, the knowledge of music. I heard a thing mentioned that somebody was like, "It seems like all my friends who are watching Solo now on Netflix or home video or whatever are really surprised that it was pretty fun because." All of the stories and everything about it ahead of time were about how it was going to be a disaster and it mm-hmm. was terrible and it didn't make any money and no one went. And then afterwards, everyone was like, no, oh, it actually wasn't so bad. But all of the stuff around it led you to believe that it wasn't vaguely related to what you said, right. although not about songs. Mm-hmm. This next one up here is Chris Dolizzi. Mm. I'm, I'm maybe up. putting an accent on that. I don't need to. Chris, who may or may not be uh, male or female, can't tell from this. So mm-hmm. – uh, this person remembers 65% of the dialogue and everything they've ever watched. Like fully remembers it? Yep, or could forward? quote it back to you. But only 65%. 65%, which is, which is still pretty good. So never more, never less? Yeah, it's 65% or, you know, if you can't get those, like you say it's a word count or maybe a character count, it would round off a little bit. But this is sort of a photographic effect of 65%. What's the line in that movie? Blah, 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 blah. Knows the whole line. Now, but if it's not one of the parts that they remember, right. that is problematic. Uh, only if you really need to know it because you could just look that up. But, but only of what they've seen. It does make some impressive party tricks, though. Again, you might want to feel bad for this person's significant other or date. Mm. 
<laughs> that reminds me of a line from Red Dragon. Just okay. a nice boyfriend, Chris. Or Sean. <laughs> Scott Paros. Scott's clothes will grow and or shrink as his body grows and shrinks. Well, we're getting closer to that anyway. I what mean, do you let's <laughs> stretch, stretch denim is the best thing that ever happened. So if, if Scott, you know, loses a bunch of weight, doesn't have to buy new clothes, the, sh- the clothes will shrink down to perfectly fit his new body. And obviously on the other side, if he gains a bunch of weight, all his clothes will still fit perfectly. It's a blessing and a curse. Yeah, I mean, the, the the incentive to one way or the other is no longer there. But on the other hand, it's real. it saves you a lot of money. It does, but also, I've, I'm a vain man. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the impetus for losing weight is the fact that you get to buy new clothes and they'll look better and then you can feel better about yourself. Well, there you Again, go. I want to point out to you, I'm in the house by myself all day. <laughs> so that, that, puts, that puts an element on it. Like, in my mind, I think, when I go to the school, I'm better dressed than these other dads. But the other dads are thinking, I like the Patriots. So uh, no one's noticing me. Right. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I made this about me, is what I did. You and your therapist must have really interesting conversations. You know what? I've been doing pretty well lately. Mm -hmm. So we've just been talking about politics. I see. And I don't know if it's therapeutic or not. Have you gotten into the whole clothes thing? I might. Hold on. I'm going to write this down. (laughs) Also, I remember like 45% of the dialogue and everything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's why it was an element of fantasy to the other sure, one. Sure, sure. I've been way too personal on this show. Sure. What happens though? Show. You know, it's been almost twenty years of this, so. Well, it happens to me. It doesn't happen to you. I still don't know anything about you. Right. Well, <laughs> one, <I'll, laughs> one day. <laughs> You're right there. You're gonna be like Chris's power. I just did Chris's power. You have to give Scott. I did, Scott. No, you just did. You have two Chris. Oh, it's the other Chris. Yeah. There's a second Chris. To the two Chris's, a second Chris. Chris, I was still looking at the last Chris. I was like, what are you talking about? Chris McMahon <laughs> actually has the ability to visually uh, tell the difference between 4K and full HD. He sees it? Yeah, because I fucking don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, I'm this UHD Blu-ray player. I don't see shit. It's exactly the same as a Blu-ray. It's a 4K player? Yeah. And a 4K TV? Dude. And a 4K disc? Yes. Hmm. I mean, if like I guess I have I have one UHD movie because I wanted to see it and I bought Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to go out and buy the Blu-ray because I'm pretty sure this is a scam. <laughs> it could be. It's like it's like the um the HDMI cords. Yeah. Oh, actually. Actually, because why not keep going with this fucking stuff that doesn't matter? I plugged in the new UHD uh, Blu-ray, and the TV went nuts. Flash and black, wouldn't do whatever. And then I looked it up, and it turns out that you need – you actually do need certified newer HDMI cords because the old ones were never uh, made to hold this much. The old HDMI cords that I've had for years and years and years because my thought was always HDMI is HDMI, so it doesn't really matter. But the newer ones actually have to carry the advanced bandwidth to be able to do that. So thanks, Sean, Chris, Scott, and Chris, SCSC, for being patrons. We thank you for your patronage, and there's your powers. Enjoy and good health. Patreon.com slash fanboys where you can get those powers. Let's do an email. Why not? We're already long, so fuck it. Pete S. from Washington Heights, New York City. Pete, if you recall, he wrote in way back in episode 665, and he said that he had read two unnamed classic 90s DC books that we were always raving about, and he could not enjoy them because the art was so bad. 
and he'd wish that DC would let someone redraw them and in comics in general. Do you recall that conversation, Josh? Yes, I do. If you recall, we speculated because he gave us no information about what those books could be or by whom. And so he followed up with an email, and I, he, he actually followed up with two emails. I sort of combined them into one here. Uh, he says, The writer I had in mind is not Mark Wade nor Kurt Busick. It's none other than the gl- great Glasgowian... Glaswegian. Glaswegian Grant Morrison. The titles I had a hard time enjoying for the, because of the art are, number one, JLA, which he described in his first email as... Penciled by a second-generation, second-rate 90s artist working in the style characterized of shiny boobs and shoddy storytelling. And book two was Animal Man, described in the first email as painfully unprofessional by today's standards. And Pete says, I got the first hardcover of each. It's part of my quest to learn to appreciate DC Comics. So far, it's not going well. I'm going to try the Thomas Perez Teen Titans next. I believe he means Wolfman Perez. I believe so. So those are the two books, Josh. JLA and Animal Man. All right. I don't know when the last time I read the Morrison JLA was. It was a while ago. And I was probably not quite as adept at picking out storytelling problems and storytelling strengths at that point. However, I believe that you're correct. It is of the time. But there was a certain energy of it that I felt fit the time. And I I like Howard Porter a lot. Every time he shows up now, I get happy he was doing I don't. I don't think you should have. Apologize. I think number one, it's art is completely subjective. So true, but but there are things here where there's storytelling problems, which I think is key. And I was like, I don't remember that being a thing, but I can't also speak to it. I haven't read it in a while. I think when you're going to talk about the shiny boobs and the whatever, I think that had a lot to do with the production and coloring processes of the era. Digital coloring sucked for a while. Yeah, this is, wasn't this pre-digital terrible. coloring. It was ninety-five, ninety-six. I don't know, but I would never characterize Howard Porter as a cheesecake artist ever. Ever. Like, no. he, he wasn't Jim Ballant. That's not the case. But I, I love the art, JLA. I love Howard Porter. I mean, but you, you were also there at the time. You know, you were like, it, but I also think of it as of the time, but I, I see the value. In, I mean, we just did this book spot where we talked about the, the 90s, you know, the, the West Coast Avengers. Mm-hmm. And I think this is similar to that. Like, there's something about it I like because it's appropriate for what that was. If I bought a book that looked like that now, I don't know, but I've seen Howard Porter stuff recently that I really liked. Yeah. I get excited when I see him. Maybe that's just because that book engenders positive memories for me. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's as bad as all that. Animal Man, nope. I don't I don't uh, painfully unprofessional. I, I don't think so. Chaz Trog was the artist for most of Animal Man. Yeah. I mean again, it was of the time. It, it was, was of the time and of the – even though it wasn't a Vertigo book, it was a Vertigo book. And, right. And that is what those 90s Vertigo books – again, it wasn't a Vertigo book, but it was – looked like. That was a style of art. It was a dirty British style. Yeah. yeah, but at the same time, like right now, I'm looking at the spine. I can't reach it and it'll make a lot of noise if I try to go over there and result in dead air. That page where he turns around and looks at you, yeah. it's burned in my mind. Mm-hmm. So you tell me, was the art effective? I haven't read it since we did the video show on it years and years ago, probably 10 years ago. But, I mean, I had no problem back then. You know, That's what comics looked like. Maybe, maybe there's a little bias that gets created when the books have those beautiful Brian Pollan covers on them. Well, he, he did mention that in one of his emails that basically he felt like the bait and switch of the Brian Pollan cover to the inside art. And the styles are totally different. I, totally. Sure. Uh, he mentioned Doom Patrol, actually, in another book that 
he hadn't meant in the first email, but he also had gotten Doom Patrol and the same thing. Brian Bolland on the cover and yeah. 90s Vertigo style art on the inside. And it's just, you know, every era has its style. Would a book that was drawn to, to look like Dick Sprang work now? No. No. But I wouldn't call it unprofessional. It's just the style is different. Yeah, I don't think either of those books I could categorize as unprofessional. You know, Kurt Swan is one of the all-time great artists, but if you, if you had a book by him by him now, most readers wouldn't like it. You know, as far as storytelling goes, which I, th- I think is key. I mean, like, it's one thing to attack. I don't like the style. It's another – or being unprofessional. Yeah. It's another thing to say the storytelling doesn't work. He didn't say that for Animal Man. But – Actually being less informed on how storytelling works and comic book things is, is a better barometer. Because mm-hmm. if you read it and you weren't like, I kept getting lost, then it worked. Right. I don't know. I, I don't know what to tell you. It's really tough because – I can't I can't imagine – I mean I'm not going to – I mean I kind of am going to say I can't imagine there were storytelling problems in JLA. That that was a book that redefined the genre and the and the industry, and is still looked upon today as a seminal work. And I I can't imagine it would be looked that way if there was soft storytelling problems in the art. Now you may not like the style, but I can't if it's if it was a fundamentally yeah. if it was it had fundamental storytelling problems. I don't think it would be, um, it would be so looked held upon. in the regard yeah. that it is. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that there are certain tropes and uh, uh, techniques that maybe are not in use today. Sure. Is much because it was in the that, cusp that, of the new. It was right. It was right. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder how old our friend Pete here is, because maybe if you grew up with it, you're softer on it. You know what I mean? Like if you'd only grown up in the era of like say post Marvel Knights, you have a different idea about but what also, good but art also is. But also, it's 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 all about. It's all about viewing art in context. It's the same thing of watching yes. an old an old film. If you watch an old film. You know the camera doesn't move. It's like a play. You know, it, and it, and it, by modern standards, it's it's not as cinematic. But I would never call old films unprofessional because they didn't move the camera like they move it today. It's just a different style, and that's how things were were done in a different era. So you have to look at everything in the in the context of the time. And I, I think that's key. And and to defend Pete to a certain extent, when I was younger, I don't think that I did that. And now one of my favorite things is to look at art no you definitely didn't do it because it was a time yeah. remember, you wouldn't look you wouldn't look at anything older than 10 years yeah no and and i and i you know fair enough but like i got there and to, to this day one of my favorite things one of the only reasons for me to be on twitter anymore at all is when comic pros talk about art from the past that they think is amazing and great and that you get to go look at. like i'm so glad that i got the quote-unquote education where you know they would talk about stuff like like Wally Wood. Like I know who he is now because of that. Or if you go back and Russ Heath or you know, art, artists from other times or that guy's name who I can never remember who everybody loves so much. He was like four Spanish names. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez? That's the one. He's terrific. And, but he's like one of those guys like every artist yeah. working now is like that guy is the man. Well, he's the one that did the DC that. style book. Yep. So here's their John Busima. I want to reiterate. Yeah, he is. I want to reiterate that. Uh, what I said from the beginning still is also true. It's also art. So if Pete doesn't like it, that's totally fine because it's, it's 100%. art, and it's not every one reacts the same way to to art. It's personal by and nature be- because it's a comic book. The art and the story are integral. So if one part of it isn't working for you, the rest yeah. of it isn't going to work for you, and that is also valid. Yep. But I think when you add context to it, I don't think that you can say it's objectively poor. I think that that is a that or is unprofessional. A but then you can say by today's standards. But again, that, I think that's. That's unfair. 
I guarantee you that that some of those guys we just talked about, like if like like Russ Heath came along and looked at like travel foreman's art on Animal Man and be like, what the hell is this crap? Right. Yeah. So I guess it works both ways. Email us at contact.fanboy.com if you want to get in the show. We were long, although we would have done a second one. So let's plug some things. Next week, we'll have another special edition show. The Animated Brand Trust will get together to talk about Reign of the Superman, the part two of the Death of Superman movies that they did. I don't know exactly when that's going to come out, but probably this Thursday. But don't hold me to it. Cool. Uh, if you want to, uh, you can listen to December's Talksplode that came out uh, late in January with myself and Brian Edward Hill, writer of uh, a bunch of comics, Detective Comics, uh, Michael Cray, American, uh, Carnage. American Carnage, which is great. I know yeah. we talked about it last week, but it's so great. Um, I really dug talking to him. I've gotten some pretty good feedback on it, and people dug it. Uh, people who I don't know. A lot of feedback, I'm... more than normal. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm, it's, I'm always proud of the of this, those shows that I do, and I'm, I'm proud of this one, too. I think you should go listen to it if you haven't. This month, I'm due for another one. It's February. I'm pretty sure I know who it is. I've got to put it on the books. not going to tell you till I do. That's the, the thing, but uh, I think you'll like it. Uh, also, if you want to listen to other special shows that Patrons Unlocked, we did our Booksplode show, Josh just alluded to earlier. We talked about Avengers West Coast Epic Collection, how the West was won. I believe that show is right behind this one on the feed, so if you... Haven't heard it yet. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. That was a really fun one. We almost did an hour on it. It was a really fun one to do. Yeah. More diving into the past. And we'll figure out the next one as soon as we know. We're building that context for ourselves again, Mm -hmm. which is fun. So once we know the next one, we'll let you know. We have a patron hangout coming up. Do you guys know about that? I, I, I think I did. My son wrote an essay at school, and the first line is, do you have a dog? Well, I do. And it's on my refrigerator. And I read it every day. It makes me laugh every day. Do you have a dog? Well, I do. And then in the essay, he wrote that our dog shits on the floor, which he did one time in 11 years. But now everyone in his class thinks that my dog's a floor shitter. Anyway, you can come to the Patreon Hangout for more of that kind of material. On February 17th, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific time, uh, it's an Oscar previews edition of, of the Hangout. I would like to point out that one of the things we do regularly in the Hangout is hand out GDAT status to, to people, the Goddamn American Treasures. That's If you're not a patron, that's what that stands for. Um, people keep uh, nominating people like in our patron groups and in the, hang, in the Facebook page. I, th- I believe we said in the last show that we are done. Uh, you said that. Uh, we all pretty much agreed after nominating the entire first season cast of ER that we had... We had Killed the pay, the GDAT and it was over. I mean, I think I think I, I think the writing's on the wall. I think it's getting a lot harder. <laughs> like I don't I, I it's you know if it does open up again, it'll be a while. We just opened the books up for like a hundred people. Yeah, that you know you did that <laughs> kind of as a joke, and you guys both voted for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, it was hard to. <laughs> anyway, those are always fun. That's the kind of goofy nonsense we talk about. Let's wrap the show up because we're going real long. with that. Yeah, we are. So go to ifanbo.com. You can find all of our podcasts. You can comment on this podcast. You can look up some of the old shows. You can find all those shows we just talked about. Shows is basically shows. what's there is what I'm saying. Shows. <laughs> Topics. Topics. Find Feelings. out what the pick of the week is before the show. Issues. <laughs> comes out by liking us at facebook.com slash ifan. You know, I'm holding this cough back. You make me laugh. Sorry. And following at iFanboy on Twitter, you can follow us individually is at J.A. Flanagan on Twitter and Instagram, or follow Connor's classic film adventures on C.S. Kilpatrick at Instagram. You know, that was an old Ithaca College joke. 
issues? Well, well before it was in the vernacular, whenever we had a problem in Studio B, everyone would always be like, well, I've got issues. And so <laughs> one of the days, you know, we had to make up some dumb show. It was a talk show called Issues. Issues. And that's how the title was said over the issues. Nice. It was, it was all about the tapes not working. Where am I in the script? Oh, if you like the show, write a review on iTunes uh, or leave it just a star rating. I just left a star rating for a new podcast to start listening to because I really enjoyed it. And it always helps to do that. It helps people find podcasts. helps people know who uh, want to support it that there's a listener base. So people do appreciate that. So if you have a second or two, please consider doing that for our show. Even better than that is tell your friends. Spread the word about iFanboy. And we do appreciate everyone who does that uh, very much. And so we're long. Josh is cold and coughing. And uh, that's that's our that's our day. It's true. I had to turn down the the furnace in order to do the show without a loud hissing in the background. That's well, a thing. That's what I do for you people. And hopefully you you won't freeze till the next show. I'm Connor. I'm Josh, and I'm just fine. Thank you.